Hi, welcome to Summit Church. We are one church in multiple locations in Central Florida. We believe that your story, told truthfully, is good news to those who are near to God and those who are far from God. And no matter where you find yourself, you are welcome here. Join us in listening to this week's sermon. There is a refrain from an old church hymn that I grew up singing quite often as I was growing up. And and a little bit of it goes like this. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. There's rich theology in that song, specifically in the last portion of that refrain, that it was there by faith I received my sight. And because of that, I am happy now all day long. It is the cross specifically used as a tool of oppressive control over a people that gives new perspective to those who would come close to it. This cross commonly used as a symbol of fear for those who would dare challenge the empire of Rome, now has a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus on it. Roman citizens and the like were used to seeing deaths on crosses. It was common for Rome to leave bodies on crosses, almost as billboards in a town to remind people living in the community that this is what would happen to you if you ever stepped outside of the boundaries of Roman law. In the same vein, what we see even in the 19th century of this country, Southern lynchings used as a form of terror and control. In that same vein, the cross, was used as an ancient tool for death. Yet, in this entire series, we are going to discuss the beauty of why the cross is different, this cross event specifically being different, that what happens to folks who are so used to seeing the cross as a symbol of death, what happens when they come in contact with that same cross, but this time it has Jesus on it? This is why I began with that old hymn. There's so much rich theology over the course of many years that lays foundation for this beautiful theology that would suggest that the people who come in contact with the cross of Christ leave changed. That folks who come in contact with Jesus tend to see a little bit more clearly. That one of the greatest perspective shifts of the cross and the clarity for the ancient and even the modern Christian alike is the conversation of the cross presenting us righteousness. There's an early century project in which folks like Paul and others argue that the cross of Jesus Christ gives new meaning to this word righteousness for the believer. So if we were to paint the picture as even seen in the hymn that was sung before, the person who was close to the cross and sees the light of Jesus on said cross, then one of the pillars of having new sight as sung in that hymn would be our understanding of a righteousness that has been given to us. So in speaking like this, let's slow down for a second and have the conversation of what is righteousness. 
There are a few important things for us to understand when it comes to this term. There is not great univocality in this word. Univocality just meaning that all the people across the landscape of Christianity speak about this word the same. That There's not great univocality of this word righteousness. And depending on who you read and what era they wrote it, you might get different versions or at least slightly changed definitions of what righteousness might be. So for instance, if you are reading medieval literature of the theologian Martin Luther, he has a very specific view of righteousness. If you're reading someone like N.T. Wright, he has a very specific view of righteousness. If you read someone like a John Wesley or a James Cone or so many different other folks over the years, they all have their versions of what righteousness means. And the ways in which the author Paul uses this term, but the ways in which a Western capitalistic society in which most of us live in, the way that we use that term, both of those are in vehement disagreement with one another, but we'll get to that a little bit later. However, even in studying this word, what most scholars and theologians agree upon is that righteousness in its simplest term is the quality of your being. Righteousness in the context of a traditional biblical standard is the idea of your quality of being in the eyes of God and the quality of your being in the eyes of God manifested in the world. Again, it's a simplistic view. However, righteousness is who we are in the eyes of God based on some very key pillars. Those pillars being, again, your character, your internal being, the things you do, as well as the things you say and use. In most contexts, the term righteousness is a term that has some legal or even cultural relevance, a term that creates a distinction between what is good and what is bad. That this term righteousness even has deep linguistic and cultural ties to words like justice and reconciliation and speaking about what is good and what is bad, those words meet there in the middle. Righteousness is also theologically understood by most Orthodox Christians, not only as something observed by God, but something like a gift given to us from God. So let's look at scripture and have that discussion. I'm gonna be in Romans chapter three and I'm only gonna read verses 21 through 26. And the word of the Lord reads like this, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith 
in Jesus. In this text, Paul is trying to give the Roman people some connective tissue between who Jesus is and who they are called to be because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul, knowing that he is writing and speaking to a diverse group of people and cultures living in a realm of empire and oppressive rule, is giving clarity to a question that some of us, even under the sound of my voice, might be asking a, a key question to this entire sermon. What does the cross have to do with me? This question is even more pressing for ancient Jewish communities and others in a post-cross resurrection reality that many years later, these are Paul's writings. So these writings are written many years later since our Messiah has died and rose again. And even in the community, oppression is still relevant. And, and even in the community, we're starting to see the rise of the local church and churches are being planted in all of these different spaces. And yet and still, the question remains that even in a post-resurrection reality, what in the world does the cross have to do with me? This question is still very much relevant to the saints at this moment in time. I am not naive to the fact that there might be folks in the room who have wrestled with this question, what does the cross have to say about the ways in which I engage my circumstances, my, my social circumstances, my family circumstances, my financial, my emotional circumstances? What does this cross have to say about trying to get up every day and maneuver and work in this fog of life? I, if you are not, I am willing to admit that this truth and be vulnerable to you, that there is so much happening in this world, that there is the death and displacement of millions of our Palestinian brothers and sisters. There are people in several countries as we speak who are suffering from malnutrition and the lack of simple healthcare needs. I've seen too many image bearers of God no longer living on my cellular device. And of course, there is this weird amount of apathy and disregard for engaging culture in a proper way right now. There are so many people I know who are sick or going through some incredibly hard medical and life problems. Life for many people is foggy right now and it feels like the fog is getting heavier. I can imagine that Paul and even most Jewish brothers and sisters living in Roman Empire felt the weariness of carrying the fog. And yet Paul in this portion of the letter introduces a dense, a little complicated, but still a disruptive theological concept called righteousness. Righteousness as a gift given to us for our own benefit not just as individuals, but even as a community, that there is so much to gain from what Paul has to tell us about this gift of righteousness. And so even in explaining these texts of walking through what Romans 3 verses 21 through 26 is trying to tell us, I have three points, three points of some beautiful truths that Paul is trying to, uh, to explain to us. The first point is that faith in Jesus presents the gift of righteousness. It is having faith in Jesus, seeing Jesus, believing in Jesus, giving one's life to Jesus, presents this gift to us as righteousness. In verse 21, again, it states, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God, 
has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's beautiful language, rightness, justice, love, kindness, all of these given as a gift from God. Paul tells us that this gift was something that was described and articulated by the prophets of old. Paul tells us that the old covenant relationships that made first temple Jewish brothers and sisters speak of a moral clarity and a law that creates social order in the world. Yet Paul in Romans makes a distinction between Hebrew law of old and the present reality of our righteousness post Jesus's death on a cross. And all of this given to us as a free gift, gift simply because we have faith. That what is happening right now, even in our own lives, is a gift from God. That this gift as described by Paul is based on having faith in Jesus, understanding and loving and being in relationship with Jesus, we receive this gift. I would love for us to truly sit in this point for a while because one thing I know about Paul's writing is that when he is writing about Christ, he's writing about Christ so that we can see Christ more clearly, but also in seeing Christ more clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. That righteousness in its purest form has come from Jesus because righteousness comes, that comes from humans, has a ceiling. In seeing Jesus clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. And in seeing ourselves more clearly, we are able to wrestle with the notions of our own personal views of righteousness or self-righteousness. But one thing that is very clear according to the scriptures is that the righteousness that is given to us by God outshines and outweighs the righteousness given by human beings, our own personal self-righteousness, because it has a ceiling. It's at times raggedy and problematic and toxic. I remember uh, some time back um, in one of the schools that I was teaching in, um, I had a dear friend, still really, really good friends with this person. Um, but this particular person uh, was an atheist, a staunch atheist, did not believe in God at all. And, and again, we were in close relationship. We loved each other. We were really, really good friends. But of course, me being the Christian in the group, or at least one of the Christians in the group, of course, I would get teased a little bit and there would be some jokes. If, we, if we'd see something in culture that is happening, of course, the Christian would be the one, which sometimes I understand, the Christian would be the one that would receive the jokes. And I remember one day we were all just hanging out and I don't know why this happened, but we started having a conversation about religion and we started having conversation about morality and ethics. And we started having a conversation about the origin of where our morality and our ethics were. All of these things come from this particular day, the origins of where our moral code and whether things are good or things are standard via our social acceptance or if our morality has a beginning point. And of course, that beginning point being Jesus. Now I know culturally this, is, this debate can get tricky, 
across the spectrum of culture to culture. What some deem as good or normal may not be deemed as normal or good for another. However, the basis of a general and universal form of morality can still be debated. And that is what happened here. I wanted to hear her argument and I wanted to see the logical progression about how morality and ethics and righteousness can start from the human being and not from God. And so the argument consisted of some of the most ancient arguments of when it comes to self-righteousness. Some of those arguments consisted of this. Well, as humans, Johnny, we have the innate ability to be morally good and good to other people. We as human beings, Johnny, love people and we care for people. Human beings outside of believing in Jesus, Johnny, have fed unhoused folks and have built hospitals. Johnny, you understand that human beings outside of believing in Jesus have marched for the rights of humanity. Johnny, do you understand that human beings outside of believing in Jesus have cured disease and walked uh, um, in space. Do you understand that humans don't need Jesus to be righteous, Johnny? Most of us innately accept, and we know how to acquiesce to the common law of the land and how to live at peace with humanity. Now, hear me, I, I agreed on a lot of this premise. I, I really did. A lot of my friends, if I'm gonna be honest with you, a lot of my friends, people that I love dearly, my close inner circle, a lot of them are, are far from the cross. <laughs> a lot of them are far from this idea of church. A lot of them have been hurt by the church or hurt by this idea of an absent Jesus or an absent God in the sake of all of the things that are happening here. I have friends who are all over the spiritual spectrum and all of them, hear me, are incredible people. I would argue my favorite people. All of them are moral people. All of them I trust to be around my children. I'm showing up to your birthday parties. I'm showing up to your weddings. You are my people. These folks who don't know Jesus are still incredible human beings. Hear that. But also, also, let us be very clear on something that your perceived moral clarity about anything and human righteousness always has a ceiling. At times, our righteousness is raggedy. It is incomplete. It is insufficient. It is insecure. It is problematic. It can be toxic. Because those same arguments that are heard about the moral clarity starting from the human being is the argument can go completely against those particular arguments that those same people who apparently have moral code and are perceived as good people have disappointed or hurt someone in their past. Those same human beings who have loved and cared for people still verbally abuse and ignore somebody. I know many people who know how to love other folks but forget how to love their spouse when they get home. I too know folks who have built homes for others while simultaneously destroying their own home because they don't know how to be good parents. I too know people who have built hospitals but are sick themselves with envy, greed, and destruction. Praise God for the good folks who get into the streets and march for humanity of all of the social issues that we have in this disingenuous land of government. I praise God for them, but there are many of the people in those crowds, in those marches, who lack personal integrity themselves 
and are shady even in their own context. Praise God for the doctors who are able to cure the diseases. However, we know the ones who can study the disease of cancer, but still have a blind eye to the disease of apathy and reconciliation. Yes, humans do have a perceived sense of righteousness, but that righteousness has a ceiling. The common response to this argument usually is, well, Johnny, we said moral, not perfect. Those two are not mutually inclusive. My response usually to that is, you are right. Those things are not mutually inclusive. However, I do know of a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That this Jesus we love and celebrate lived a life of uncommon morality that laid way for a new normal. That this Jesus lived a life that was so well pleasing to the Father. This is a Jesus who actually practiced what he preached. This is a Jesus that lived in such a way that perplexed and confused the people who thought they were living a moral life. That we as Christians believe that, if I can borrow the language of Paul, that even our good deeds, our best deeds on our best day, those things can be seen as filthy rags because we know that the same human being that the good deed comes out of is the same human being that filth can also come out of. We know how to build up, but man, do we know how to destroy as well. Yes, there's so much beauty and goodness. The thing that I tell to my students all the time, you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter, you have value, you have worth. All of you are beautiful, you are good. All of these things are true, but even in the same vein of all of that goodness, we also can be the same people that bring death, destruction, and evil into this world. The same human being. We as Christians understand that. But Jesus's righteousness shows us a better way. Again, even in having the discussion about righteousness and justice, uh, we know that these are the same words that if anyone who knows me, if you know who I am, if you follow me on social media, if you're somewhat aligned to me at all, you know that I do not mince my words when it comes to this. I am a justice-minded person. I lean heavily into the repairing of a social breach in which we live. I hold no shame and I say it loudly with my chest, God is a God of justice. However, again, let's be very clear. Any talk of justice, that is divorced from the internal righteousness of a holy God is empty rhetoric. It's because as much as I love justice and I wanna see restitution and I wanna see the repair, I wanna see the breach repaired, I know that even on my best day, I can fix some issues, but I can also add some to it. That this gift of given righteousness comes from someone who actually is righteous, point two, that we see in this text, the righteousness of Christ creates an even playing field for all people. This is a very important point that what Paul is trying to do here. There are many different ways that you can turn the diamond of this particular text and see a different angle of what Paul is trying to say. And in this particular angle, what Paul says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all, again, all people, all of us, sin, fallen short. But he also, all of us are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul uses some very weird and hostile language in this portion. 
that this would have been hostile language to our ancient Jewish brothers and sisters. What do you mean, Paul, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile? I would beg to differ. But if righteousness is imparted to us as a gift, if that is a truth given to us by the life and death of Christ, then what does that imply about humanity? What type of theology is Paul preaching about the death of Christ for all people? That Paul has been taken out of context for a long, long time with this verse, but so many people miss the beauty of one of the angles of what we see here in Paul's theology. That Paul explains that the leveling of the playing field for all of humanity is realized through the state or the being of our humanity. That we are all fallen. We are all sinners. We are all in need of saving. We all get it wrong often. The brokenness of our humanity actually creates solidarity with humanity. There's something beautiful about seeing someone and seeing something that they too struggle with that you also struggle with that for some reason starts to melt the heart and you start to see each other more clear. It's almost like the famous Shakespearean quote from that famous play, The Merchant of Venice, that uh, the, the actor says that, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not seek revenge? Shakespeare is asking the same solidarity type questions that break the human barrier of that we are all human because we all have these very particular things in common with each other that even this artist of Shakespeare grapples with the same social truths that Paul gives clarity to in this letter. We are all cut from the same cloth, not because of our greatness or our ingenuity, but because we all have issues. So if we all have issues, then that means we must all need someone to fix our issues. And even though we have many different issues, we have issues. That verse 24 in Romans 3 tells us, it says that you tell me that we all received the uh, free gift of justification through grace and redemption that came from the person and work of Jesus, that we may be different ethnicities, orientations and backgrounds. We may speak different languages and like different foods. We may live in different types of neighborhoods and have different cultural understandings about the world. However, one thing that we all have in common is that every single one of us got problems. Every single one of us got issues. And yet it is my clarion call to remind people that we serve a Jesus that died for those. That the playing field is even under the cross, even if we would all sit under the rusty nails of the rugged cross, we could see all of us in the mirror. And in that mirror, we could see some broken people. We would see people who try hard sometimes, but fail. We would see all of the things that bring hurt and shame. We would see together that we are all in need of a savior, that there is something beautiful about a group of people who are different from each other, sitting together and realizing that the common beauty of humanity can be observed through the fact that we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. The playing field has been leveled by the cross. And we are able, just like what I said in Paul's writing, 
we're able to see Jesus clearly, but in, in seeing Jesus clearly, we're able to see ourselves more clearly. And I conclude with this point, my third point, our spiritual formation, who we are as human beings hinges on the righteousness of God that has been gifted to us. The imparted beauty of God's righteousness pressed upon the world as a gift is something that has implications for the right now. The righteousness of God is not simply a theological theory full of mystery, but void of relevant power. The righteousness imparted to us via the work of Calvary is not just a moment in time that does not push us in our modern era today. Our spiritual formation, who we are formed to be, our discipleship depends on this idea of righteousness. It is this righteousness that allows for us to read the gospels and to hear beautiful things said to us. Like when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, when Jesus says that you are the light atop of a hill, when Jesus departs from his disciples one last time, he says the most radical thing that we see in the text. He looks them in the face and says, y'all will do greater things than I did on my time here in earth. Our discipleship, our formation hinges upon this, that all of that language is void if being in the right standing with God is not the reality we are striving for. If we are not trying to be in right standing with God and with one another, all of those things like being the salt of the earth and the light on the hill, all of those things mean nothing. They are void. Beholding the righteousness of God leads us to this idea of a high and holy church term we call sanctification, depending on what church background you've grown up in. Or for those of you that have no church background, all sanctification means is this idea of our spiritual formation or our discipleship. All sanctification is a process in which we are constantly being emptied out and poured into. Sanctification for the sake of God's holy righteousness given to us as a gift is the ability to smell the rot of sin that chains us to self-destructive and death-dealing behavior. It is the process of becoming more like Christ each and every day. We release ourselves from toxic forms of engaging the world with the Holy Spirit's help and position ourselves to embody Christ. Sanctification is a right now process. Sanctification is a myriad of things. Sanctification can look like coming to church and engaging in community. Sanctification can be being discipled through healthy discipleship practices. It can be coming to summon and joining our regroup or finding a good therapist. Spiritual disciplines like praying, fasting, solitude, and reading of scripture. Our sanctification is learning how to suffer well. Learning how to engage all forms of people is a sanctifying process. The, the types of people that you inclusively add to your community is a form of sanctification. How you love your significant other is a form of sanctification. Learning how to control that mouth, learning how to control your anger, learning how to control your sarcasm, learning how to control your nihilism, all of those things is a form of sanctification, that this is how the righteousness of God 
manifests itself in real time in our world. It is through this hard sanctification process, but all of it hinges upon this, that this beautiful gift of righteousness given to us to purify and cleanse us of our toxic and problematic ways shows itself to be true with how we show up in the world. The righteousness imparted to us, given to us as a free gift by having faith in Jesus blossoms and grows and shows itself to be beautiful with how we accept said righteousness and how we manifest that righteousness back into the world. It does not make you perfect, but it does help you to become a part of that long lineage of people who can proudly sing at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Let's pray. Father God, be clear. Be clear. Show us the ways in which we need to deconstruct and purify ourselves so that the righteousness given to us as a gift can be shown beautifully into this world. In the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today. You can also watch our video services on YouTube or at summitconnect.org and check out our show notes to link to our website and follow us on social media. Now go in God's grace and peace. We hope you join us next time.